Hey, Garrick. Curiosity Hello. killed the cat, and it also helped us find a subject for this podcast. Yes. Let's have ourselves a podcast. Sounds good. All righty, sir. Well, it is uh, a sunny day outside in beautiful Sweden. There are nice. green leaves on every tree. Uh, winter has finally broken its back, and uh, I'm in shorts today. It's glorious. Wow. Yeah. I'm in shorts too. It's been it's been hot here. Like how? Uh, like it's getting into the well. If you if we go into Fahrenheit, it's going into the like high 80s. Oh wow! But during during midday in Spain, that can get really hot. And then it, then in Andalusia, you have a you have these really wild temperature swings. So it'll go. What is that in What is that in Celsius? Like 26, 27, 28. Oh gosh, we like may that. not we may not hit twenty six or twenty seven. Yeah, this but summer. at night it'll it'll drop down to 15, 12, 13. Wow! Like that. So nice. So big nights nights and eve and uh, evenings and mornings are beautiful. Really nice. Might even need a little jacket. Uh, but the midday can be just grueling. So, in the, so, so is that in technically why the siesta was developed to kind of get I, away from the summer, you know, the really bad heat in the middle of the day? I think so. Yeah. I think but there's, you have, there's, you've I've, never I've, read anything official on that. I've heard different, uh, different theories, but I, yeah. I have a feeling, uh, that has a, something to do with it. It does this, it gets the heat in the mid afternoon, particularly, Madrid and South in, in June, July, and August can, can be really, really hot. Really hot. So, so okay, I hear a random question. Mm-hmm. Pamplona has the running of the bulls, correct? Yeah, yes. Okay, so yesterday we, went, we took a long walk uh, through a nature reserve, which has these uh, really cool um, – it, it looks like it's a lily, but it looks like a tulip that's been with the top of the flower that's been turned down. So it looks mm-hmm. like the flower is kind of – wilted or whatever but anyway it's 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 a, a lily and it was brought to sweden in the oh now i'm gonna get it wrong about 300 years ago or so as mm-hmm. a um as a flower for gardens mm-hmm. and they started putting it in the uh the king's garden uh because we're, we're a a city that has a, a castle and different stuff with it so the 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 king's garden is is in the university area and um so they would put it on display but they they would take it to the outside when they had um, compost and different stuff at the end of the season, they would take all that trash and they would dump it into this, uh, this field. And for some reason, this flower just did really well in that field. And now it's completely taken over the field and it's become a heritage site and, oh, wow. and different things. So a really cool place. Can't walk on it. Can't go near it. You know, you can just observe the flowers and stuff. Anyway, on the other side of the road, a huge field, filled with uh, massive cow- dairy cows, but there was a bull out there and we were mm-hmm. admiring the size of the bull to which someone in my family, I don't remember who it was, might've been my wife, might've been me, might've been one of my kids. Uh, oh, I know what it was. My kids were, were um, you know, the Fortnite dance with, when you beat someone and you do the little yeah, loser yeah. dance or whatever. Of course it one did of my, just. yeah, one, one of my kids, well, I, had, I didn't know what it was, man. So one of my kids started doing that to the bull and I was like, you, you better be careful. <laughs> I, was like, what are, I don't know what you're doing. And uh, my daughter said, I accidentally did it. And I was like, you accidentally yeah. just, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, long story, blah, blah, blah. Uh, one of the, someone made the comment of like, what would possess a people to have bulls run after them in the middle of a town. Okay. This is a very good question. What is the deal? What is the deal with the bull running of the bulls? 
Okay. Well, the run, bull, bull, the running of bulls, of course, is also is just a prelude to a festival of bullfights. So, uh, oh. bullfighting. So bullfighting is, uh, you know, it's 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 nowadays a little bit of a, um, uh, you know, scandalous. Not scandalous, but um, it's a touchy subject. Yeah. You know, Catalonia outlawed it. You know, because there's there's a killing of an animal in a way that may seem unfair. Right. Although the bull does win from time to time. Um, Kill, I, killing I, killing a bullfighter? It does happen, yeah. Not oh. as in modern like in the last 20 years not as much, but there are some there's a I, there's a famous bullfighter who has one eye. Uh for instance, um you know, you can ima- use your imagination to figure <laughs> out how that happened. Uh you know, so it's it's a it's a dangerous sport. Uh people wow. do get hurt quite badly and and you can't die. Um it's it's probably very kin to um bull riding in the states. Um grandfather was a bull rider but yeah. big thing in texas which uh they've made it safer but still you're taking a huge risk and people occasionally are killed or you know seriously hurt um so i would go so there's a great book uh that um richard wright he wrote in the 30s he, richard wright was an african-american author who was living in paris and he traveled through spain and and then hemingway was also a yeah big, he shows up in the movie uh, midnight in paris doesn't he richard it's wright possible yeah possible he, he wrote i think native son i could be wrong that's probably yeah, yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um but also you know hemingway was a huge bullfighting guy yeah he loved bullfights but uh, and then there's several books but what what those guys all kind of come around to is that um in some sense bullfighting and it, this may actually go back to how it originally was kind of a pagan ceremony it was the ability to look death in the face and, could, and master it okay. because you because that's and that's essentially what bullfighters are doing there's a, there's a whole uh, tradition. There's an art. I mean, the people, Spaniards would say it's an art, not a sport. But there's a there's a there's almost a liturgy to it. How things are done, and how, everything that's done around it. And of course, I don't think people think that way. But what you do see, what is quite uh, you know amazing when you do see it, is it's the ability for someone to stand in front of a bull that can kill them, right? And control it and master it. And I, that so so some people surmise that that is the draw of it is the ability to say to 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 control death or to look death in the face and not have not not react with fear right so that, so that it, would certainly be like the that would certainly be the draw of it of watching it but is that do you think that that's the reason that like that they thought it up it may have been a, you know a long time like some type of sacrifice sacrificial huh. kind of thing wow you know going back to you know maybe two thousand. i don't i don't know at that, started at, in andalusia right ah you know i don't know um my guess is somewhere in Spain. It's it's very popular in Andalusia. It's very popular in Madrid. Obviously, going up into Navarra, where Pamplona is, it's very popular. Uh, southern France has bullfighting. I didn't know that. Um, mm-hmm. wow. uh, a lot of a lot of the guys go up there and, and do bullfights in Marseille and in southern. So just I was, southern I'm, I'm I'm refraining myself from making a baguette joke. Yes, yes. Uh, so, uh, which is interesting, you know, Southern France might be a little bit more like you know Spain than it is like Northern France, but. Uh, so, so it's interesting. So it's it's a fascinating cultural thing that happens, uh, and I you know I've, I, I saw this one guy one time on TV. I don't really watch it because it's it, it's kind of gruesome and bloody, and it's yeah, right. it's it's kind of for a certain type of, of person in the culture, um, and kind of looked down upon by others. Uh, and, but I saw one where a guy had a bull, and he he got down on his knees, he touched his head to the bull's head. Now the bull was you know, not not as strong as he used to, but still he touched his head down and touched the bull's head with his head, then turned around on his knees. So he couldn't even see the bull anymore. The bull was behind him 
and then got up and kind of did this really big kind of flourish with the bull behind him, but he didn't, you know, to- so there's a huge, see a huge element of faith, a huge element of, so there's all these kind of, and maybe some of these are Spanish kind of culture of risk, taking risk, uh, you know, uh, kind of showing off pride, uh, certain kind of things of Spanish culture that you see a lot, um, you know, throughout and, and bull, bullfighting tends to hit a lot of those, I think a lot of risk taking, you know, take and, and uh, just trusting, well, kind of um, fatalism, a little bit of fatalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you could, you could die. But it's fascinating. And the guys who do this, there's great, there's great books about it. I mean, they're just, you know, I, probably, I think the closest you would get in the States is bull riders. You know? Yeah. Is it a, a full-time job odd. to be a yes. bullfighter? Yeah, you can make a lot of money. Uh, you can also lose a lot of money because you obviously have to invest in a big team. Because you have a team that helps you. You have a uh, suit, suit of light, traje de, de Looses, which is what they call their what they wear, and um, the, it's it's actually quite quite expensive. So to to be good, you uh, have to be good, and it's you train. You, uh, the, one of the best guys, he was a he grew up skiing actually in Granada, and so he was a you know so they're they're athletes too. They're not just guys who kind of go out there and they're well trained. I've I've seen them people train for this as well, and it's a because it's a very it's all about you know how you hold your it's almost like dance in some ways yeah. you have to have yeah, you have yeah. to be in good shape and you have to be able to hold certain positions and things and that's what that what that's what's going to make you money you ever seen anyone do a fortnight dance to one of the bulls no i've never seen that I maybe, it's the next thing, maybe it's the next thing you're going to see that's what maybe that would be <laughs> that would be but, yeah. but I, mean, I don't know. It got it got me. <laughs> this is not an intended segue, but it did get me curious as to. Yeah, so I do. I do that from time to time. I think that's one of one of the a good discipline to to develop in life. Uh, curiosity. Yeah. Uh, I have a good friend, Michael Medital, is the most curious person I know. Uh, yeah, he has, has taught he me has. a lot about being curious. No, Mike. Um, and uh, I mean, it just. But I, there are those moments where I I see something or I say something, and I'm like. The way that I put it is, what gets that person out of bed on that day to go and fight a bull or to do the running of the bulls or or whatever else? And I, I understand now the running of the bulls that, you know, people want to do it because it's this big experience, yada, yada, yada. That's different than the person who develops their life to it. So, yeah. Um, but I yeah, remember. And, and technically, oh, the guys the guys who actually live there don't like those other guys coming, the the tourists. Oh, really? Because for them, this is, they train for this. They prepare, they do it every year. They know how, how they do it. And actually they do it in a way that is actually quite safe. But when you throw in 200 drunken yokels, uh, it gets, that's when people start getting hurt. So they, they, they actually do not appreciate. So, but, but can anyone go and run with them? I believe so. Um, maybe you have to fill out some permits or something, you know, yeah, you probably have to sign a, a waiver or something. Yeah. So, but I remember the, the way that I put it, but that's the, that's the way I do it is what, what got a person, you know, like the wise men, yeah. what got them up on their camel, yeah. <laughs> presumably to, to go and follow the star for however long they followed it. Yeah. That was so far away. And it, of course they had a field they were disciplined in and everything else, but they were curious as well. Yeah. Um, curiosity, may have killed the cat. It also gave us uh, vaccines and many other things that we could be thankful for. So yeah. there's, there's a great deal to be, to be won from being curious. Yeah. Um, I, I, fight, thinking, I fight those times yeah. though in my life where I, I think I, some, I, I vacillate between curiosity and assuming I know the right answer. 
So I think curiosity is actually something that some people are naturally curious. And then I think curiosity for probably the majority of people is something that you have to develop. Yeah. I, I think is, you know, we were maybe a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about um, things that help be successful quote, air quotation mark emissions, <laughs> whatever uh, that means, <laughs> whatever success means. Um, uh, you know, and I, and as we were talking, I just realized, you know, curiosity is, is huge to go into. I mean, the fact that I know stuff about, uh, bullfighting and I don't know that much, but you know, I wouldn't know that if I hadn't learned to Spain and felt the need to learn about things in Spain, because to, to, to understand the, to share the gospel, to be a part of this culture, to live in this culture, you, you have to, you don't have to understand everything, but you have to have curiosity to, to learn and, and try to figure these things out. And, um, you know, if at least because then at, at a, at a party, you can, you can hold a conversation for a little bit. And impresses, impresses. That's, that's right. So, so much about being so much about being a missionary is being able to hold a conversation long enough for the person to think that you you're not a complete doof. You're not a complete weirdo. Yes. Oh, it's so I think true. curiosity. It's is so important. true, though. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right. Curiosity is is hugely essential. Uh, I will say that traveling to new places or doing new things um, constantly arouses my. Yeah. Uh, and I use that word meaningfully, like on purpose, yeah. it arouses my curiosity. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's amazing how often I can be reading a book. And the part of this is, you know, on finders, context is my number four, right? So I'm constantly searching for context. But it's amazing yeah. how when I'm reading a book, so right now I'm reading a book on the flu pandemic of 1918, otherwise known as the Spanish flu, which, by the way, did you know... I think we've mentioned this before started in Kansas. Yeah. You told me that. Yeah. And I, yeah. then I looked it up and yeah, it's so started in Kansas. But the, the crazy thing is the reason they chose Spanish flu as the name was because, um, so basically what it was, was world war one was going on and censorship of newspapers was so high that in all of the places the flu was occurring, newspapers wouldn't write about it because they were told, don't write anything that will keep uh, the spirits down of people. We need them yeah. aroused that everything's good and okay. And so newspapers were, were being edited to take out all the bad stuff. But Spain being neutral, the newspapers were writing about it openly about what's going on. And so everyone say, oh, it must have started in Spain. But the reality is it started in, in, in uh, Kansas anyway. Sorry, I digress. Oh, no, that's very uh, interesting. The, 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 the curious nature of, of, of myself comes in is that when I was, uh, when I'm reading this, I have to stop all the time because yeah. I'll be reading something like, wait a second, you know, something will be referenced like, wait a second. I didn't know that. I got to, I got to yeah. look that up. And so I'll spend the next 30, 40 minutes, you know, reading a Wikipedia article, which of course is the world's most foremost authority on everything yeah. uh, about whatever, whatever given, <laughs> given subject, or, or even just looking up a picture of a well-known person that I'm like, yeah, what did that person look like yeah. or, or whatever else? Uh, and I do think it enhances learning. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, my kids as well. Yeah. Well, that's the fascinating thing about, you know, is that we live in a time when, before you'd have to like, okay, I gotta go to the library. Gotta get, you know, drive down to the library or walk down to the library, check a book out. There's nothing wrong with that. But now we, we live in a, in a world where we're inundated with information, which on one hand is incredible because you can quickly look up stuff and, and at least start the groundwork 
for what where you want to go you know you can look up on amazon type in the title of something and then from there find that there's 20 books you know about that and figure out which one's the best or you know or not or you know uh i mean it's, it's fascinating um yeah it's overwhelming then, too yeah you know, the one bummer about that, though, is the fact that the Google machine has completely destroyed all good family arguments that run generations. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't sit down at the dinner table over Christmas anymore and Uncle Bert brings up that subject that Aunt Nancy, you know, disagrees with them on and they're going to argue about it, but no one's going to, no one has a book on it. It's family, whatever. And so now you got the teenager Bobby sitting there with his telephone and he looks up on Google and, and, and just completely destroys that argument. And yeah. It's, yeah. It's an unfortunate thing. It is. At the same time, fascinatingly enough, people don't even look stuff up though anymore. And yeah, how much just, information is available and we just don't even look it up. Yeah. There does seem to be a, a, maybe an, an actual lack of curiosity sometimes because there's just the information's all there, but yet people still don't, uh, still use the, uh, the, the, the mediums that we have to just kind of check things or, or look up and try to learn. So, so I'll, I'll go down a rabbit trail real quick here on curiosity. So, uh, so Bob Dylan, he turned 79, I believe yesterday. So this will be a little bit after the fact when this comes out, but, um, and, uh, you know, 79 and this guy quite possibly one of the greatest, most influential artists of the 20th century easily. I mean, he, so much of what he did, if shaped American and, and European pop culture. Um, but anyway, so, so, so to say that, so I read an interview about guys who had recorded with him and the, and, and some of them saying it's great to record with him. We love recording others. Like it's really difficult, you know, and, and what they all came down to was like, he doesn't want to ever play the same song twice the same way. So he'll play one song. He'll play right. like, you know, like a rolling stone, but he doesn't want to play it the same way. He wants, so he'll change the key or change this or change this or whatever. And so someone was asking, they said, you know, and so it's a curiosity. I think that shows an amazing curiosity, right? A curiosity yeah, to say, yeah. where can I take this work of art, these lyrics, this song, where can I take it? Can I, and not, not to leave it stuck. And so someone asked him was like, well, doesn't, isn't that hard? Like, don't you want to recreate that brilliant moment that you had? And he said, well, recording is, is just a recording of that moment of that day. He goes, no one wants to live the same day over and over again. <laughs> you know and so obviously creating art requires curiosity yeah. all this stuff right. living life i think uh takes takes curiosity but it but it's a discipline too it probably takes some time to really to do that because you see a lot of people who maybe aren't um doing that i'm, I'm always amazing crew we have a lot of curious people we're always yeah, we really do. reading and always looking for something new and always trying and i, I love that about because it, it, it sharpens me because i'm always like whoa that guy read that book maybe maybe i should read that book yeah yeah uh, and people are very open to, to to hearing. So I think it's one of the one of a maybe the undertone kind of. Um, it's part of the ethos of the organization. In, well, in yeah. general, I, I in would general. say there, there's a there's a, it's an unstated uh, value uh, to be yeah. curious. I would say especially among those who are overseas. Yeah, uh, I have not done a ton of ministry inside the U.S. campus ministry, so I should not speak of that, which I do not know. Yeah, but it, but to get back to Dylan really quick, finish my point was he's got a new song that came out called "I Contain Multitudes," right? And I, I, listening to it, I was interested. So just you know, obviously he was making references all throughout American history, arts, and and uh, but I read I've read some reviews and people weren't picking up on the name of the title is from a Walt Whitman poem, 
mm. called Song of Myself. And so I thought that was interesting that you have people who write for a living, but didn't have the curiosity or time to, not everyone, some people figure that out, but there were, there were other people who shouldn't, you know, who shouldn't. So I, I thought it was interesting. We, I mean, we live in a saturated time and people seem to be actually less curious sometimes. So, so I'm familiar. That's interesting. Cause I'm familiar with Whitman a little bit, not a ton. Um, yeah. I don't read a ton of poetry, but I, when you make that comment, I contain multitudes. I knew right off the bat that that was a, a Whitman reference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like basically saying if, if I were to say, I can't get no satisfaction that yeah. someone would not know, you know, and of course now, right now I can't think the Rolling, Rolling, <laughs> the Stones. Rolling Stones. I was going to try to make a joke I, I and say some other like, I was going to, I was going <laughs> to make a joke too. And then all of a sudden I panicked. Cause I was like, wait a second. Cause in the last minute I decided to say the truth. And I was like, wait a second. No, it's not Aerosmith. And all I could think <laughs> of was, was uh, Tyler. Oh gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so the point being is that you, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a key reference point. So there's two things with that then that I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. One is, I I wonder if, so I wonder if two things are going on. One could be the easy cop out way for me to say would be, society is no longer teaching the key reference points from from whence we came. So someone like Dylan, who's well read, who's curious, who also is old enough uh, to yeah. His, his birthday is, what did you say today or? Uh, yesterday, I believe. Yesterday. So I was like, what is, I don't even know what today is, May 20 something. So, or maybe it was Friday. Yeah. It was, so, it was a few days ago. He definitely he turned 79. Happy birthday, Bob Dylan. Yes. Happy birthday to a uh, legend. So, but anyway, so the point being, you know, it, and then this may very well be the case that the, the world and societies in general have forgotten from whence they came and forgotten the, the, the cultural markers along the way. Right. So Whitman would not have been the first person to say, or to think I contain multitudes or to think of America as this amalgamation of cultures and people and thoughts and ideas. Uh, But he certainly was a person who helped to solidify. And he, in other words, sometimes have you ever experienced when there's that person who, puts words to something you've been thinking about your whole life and you go, yes. And so then you're able to use that person's summary. That person wasn't the first person to think of it. They're just the person who's really summed it up. Well, in some sense that's Whitman or any other cultural marker or political marker that we have in, in the marks of our lives. So like Marx and, and those guys, uh, Engels, they weren't, they weren't the first to think of those things, but yet they put it in such a way that, that it was something that people could hang their hat on. Okay. So that's one way of looking at it. The other, and I think that it can be a combination of both of these because those who are not referencing, they have the ability to, to go to the, the Google machine and type in those words to see if there's a cultural reference. I would assume that many of them run in culture circles. Yeah. So, so they have the ability to do it, but I think with, one thing that happens with the internet because so much information is available, we become desensitized or exhausted from the, even the pursuit of knowledge because it's yeah. like, well, there's, there's just going to be a different opinion or there's just, it's just this endless sea of um, knowledge and information that's out there. How do on earth do I even begin to navigate it? And so it produces a certain amount of laziness or lack of curiosity. So one way I would put it is it's very easy for my child 
to want to swim across a swimming pool because they can see the other side and they're curious what the water would feel like. I am less curious to go into an ocean and start swimming because one, I don't know how deep it is. I don't know what's in it. It's a scary place. Like there's, you know, the, 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 the bigger it gets, the, the harder it is to navigate. And I do wonder yeah. if, if that is not something of the case is that the, the sheer amount of information that is out there causes us to go, I'll just uh, go get a cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and I grew up in a time when uh, media was a lot more controlled uh, in a sense. Yeah. We grew up in a time when there was 530 every night, there was the nightly news. You had three, you had three shots. Yep. For me, it was, it was right, right. Uh, Rather Jennings and uh, Brokaw, right? Yeah. Those three guys. Yeah. And we grew up in a time when, you know, the books we read were generally within a certain margin of, you know, the Western canon or what was available at the time. Uh, we grew up in a time when music, you know, if you wanted to, to listen to music, you had to what you had to what, turn on MTV, see what was on or VH1, or you had to. Re- have access to certain types of journals that would talk about like no depression, which did all the, you know, alternative country stuff. Like, so you had to get that magazine to see what's coming out, what's available. And then you had to go to a record store and, uh, you know, take a chance on a, on a record, right? Right. So I'm going to buy this if record. If you're lucky, it was a, it was, a, it was a place where they let you listen to the record. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. Or they were playing or you, you, but you had to do a lot more work and that's just been, you know, blown open and, and and the good side of that is we have access to all kinds of great stuff and it's easier to get uh but at the same time i sometimes feel overwhelmed like what am i supposed to watch now you know, oh yeah i i before it's okay well what's on the, i have three the simpsons is on lost is on and you know a football game what do i want to watch <laughs> that was like i, mean, I can look, watch that's, that's the holy trinity right there simpsons yeah, yeah. football and, and what was the other one lost I, you know <laughs> for instance you know and 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 so i think that i think you're right there's we have this kind of I mean, I, we were talking about it, you know, everyone, you know, there was a t- time a, a while ago, Game of Thrones, right? Didn't wa- I didn't watch it, but it's what everyone talked about. Yeah. Everyone talked about in Spain. And actually, there were twice in Spain, they put the final episode on of this a season before it went on anywhere else in the world on accident. Really? They did, yeah, yeah. People, so, so it was always an accident, right? That's so, awesome. It happened, happened twice. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, that was a huge kind of cultural marker. And when you look at like how many people actually watched it in the U.S., it was like 10, 15 million people. Then you go back to like 80s and the final episode of MASH, that was watched by over 100 million people. Was it really? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a defining, uh, you know, cultural marker. Obviously not everyone, but right. you knew that was the final episode of MASH and it was watched by the, you know, the entire country. And now if you can get something that's got 20, 30, 40 million people watching it, that's, in, that's incredible. Uh, so we were, so in some ways we're overwhelmed, but we're also much more fractured. So I think you're right. You go back to that. It's hard to be curious when there's just so much different perspectives and different ideas coming at you. Yeah. And then, and good and bad things. And then I think, I think because in some sense, because there is the experience of, I think that people can be hesitant to start to look into, uh, can you hear the screaming that's going on outside? (laughs) No, no people, no children were hurt in the film in the recording of this podcast. I'm just recording from my balcony people. Um, (laughs) So, so the, 
Uh, I've totally lost my, my train of thought. Okay. So there is the reality that I think sometimes people are also afraid to start investigating things because they don't know how they can, how they can decipher what to believe. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, so it's like, okay, well, if I watch a video from Ravi Zacharias and one from Dawson, they both, Dawkins, they, they both make uh, competing truth claims. Uh-huh. How can I really know? I'll never be an expert in that. So I'm just going to give up or I'll go with what I, what I think. Mm-hmm. In some sense, people get so overwhelmed, they just uh, give up. Yeah. So we did, yeah. we did a, a video. We we did a recording of a bunch of uh, Swedish students asking them a bunch of different questions. And, um, and one, one girl I asked, uh, we would eat we'd, with each student, we just sit them down and just talk to them for like 20 minutes and just ask them stuff about life, about yeah. what they think about God, no set of questions, just, just asking people different things. And then we put a video together of, of, of what, students thought and stuff. We got their permission. This was before GDPR rules, but we did get their, their permission. And uh, anyway, so long story short, this one girl said, when I asked her, what do you think happens when you die? She goes, Oh, I don't, I don't want to think about it. Yeah. Well, why? Well, I, I just, I, I, I just can't, I just can't think about it. Now that's not a new response on the world scene, right? There's been plenty of people who have thought that and in the course of their lives, I I get so scared by it. I don't want to think about it. But in some sense, I think that there is this so overwhelming amount of information, so big and overwhelming amount of information that's out there. And I think with truth claims, especially people just kind of go, eh, it's easier to watch, you know, old episodes of friends or, or, or Netflix or be overwhelmed by that, uh, than it is to actually really do a disciplined search. But I will tell you curiosity for those that I have seen who remain curious and who follow it. Um, there is such pleasure in discovering something, uh, that, that coming to it and not just saying, Hey, what's the answer, but rather, continue to say, yeah, but I just got a, a, a little bit more that when you kind of, it's almost like there, there was this guy in when I was in Central Asia and um, to my knowledge, he's never become a believer. Um, but for three years, we would go on uh, three hour walks once a week and we would just talk and uh, talk about the Bible and the Quran and different stuff. And at the end of three years, I asked him, Kareem, why, what is keeping you from believing in Jesus? And he said, Barrett, he said, the implications of this are so big. If I believed in Jesus, I would have to become the Paul to my people. Yeah. He, so he, in some sense, was being discipled before he ever believed. Yeah. And, and I think the curiosity that he had was leading him, but it, he was discovering through that curiosity a deep truth that, to my knowledge, he never made a decision to follow. But I think reveals, you know, that curiosity that leads us. And so it's part of the missionary endeavor, but it's also part of the human endeavor to, to yeah. remain, to remain curious. So there's, there's two, there's, there's, if we, if we transition here to missions, there's kind of two big issues here. Yeah. One is the, you know, what, what do you want to call it? Postmodern, uh, hypermodern reality that we live in, which is this onslaught of information. And interestingly enough, you too predicted that, right? I mean, remember Octung Baby, Zuropa, yeah. that was saying the world, and, and even they were saying Satan, Satan is communicating to you. It is nonstop. It is 
and it is not necessarily all true. It is not. And so, you know, and a lot of their songs in their time had this undercurrent of, Hey, truth is there. You have to listen carefully. You have mm. to go below, you know, the, the song discotheque, wake up dead. And these were all songs about, Hey, there's this noise. And that was a whole, uh, you know, there's there, all the concerts were about, there's this noise, there's all this stuff, but underneath it, is God underneath it is love underneath it is truth. And you've got to, you've got to figure out. And so I think that brings up a question for us, especially in the, in the Western world where people are inundated with information and with boom, boom. And, and some people I think very much want that's the surface of things. They want, uh, you know, as Bonna said, to slide on the surface of things. They don't want to go below what's going on. They, they're happy with the bubble gum in their mouth. To chew it. So how do you, how do you help people who are happy chewing bubble gum? and happy with just letting life go by. How do you help them get under that? How do you have people who are looking, but they're just, it's so much stuff. And I think on the other side is, as curiosity, how do, um, when it comes to just simple evangelism, how do we draw that out of people? How do we, and how do we but then lead them to the right stuff? Uh, because it's, it's, it's overwhelming for us, you know, even as, um, as people. And so I think. Well, you know, I think, I think that's, that's a, I think that's a great point because when, when I think of, you know, again, uh, when, when I think of things to, if someone comes to me and says, how do I be successful in a post-secular, post-Christian, secular, post-secular, liquid, modern, mumbo, you know, whatever yeah. phase we're in, um, I would say that the, the most effective strategy that I can think of is being curious. Mm-hmm. So curious about a person's life, curious as to why they believe what they believe, curious as to how they came to that conclusion, curious as to why they might have ruled out other options, curious as to why when something, one subject comes up, maybe homosexuality or whatever, they had a visceral response or they had no response. Um, So a lot of, there's a a great book, uh, a former staff guy wrote, Randy Newman, uh, he wrote a book called Questioning Evangelism. Now, mm-hmm. he wasn't saying we should question evangelism. He was saying using questions in evangelism. And yeah. Randy comes from a, he is Jewish. And he makes the point early on in the book. He says, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm Jewish that questions seem so natural. Like, yeah. you know, Uncle Harry, how, how, how are you? How, I'm 84 years old. How else would I be doing? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> how's, the weather in, how's the weather in Florida today? How else would the weather in Florida be? <laughs> uh, so anyway, so things like that but he he's a really funny guy if you've never uh, met or talked to randy i uh, enjoyed all the time i've gotten with him but he a great point that he makes of just becoming curious in a person's he he the book itself really talks about using questions in order to maybe disarm <laughs> or as ravi the late ravi zacharias uh, yeah. said um questions allow a person to open up their own assumptions yeah and but I would even go so far as to say it needs to go beyond that. So Ravi Zacharias tended to talk about it, and I think Newman somewhat talks about it in the sense that you're using a question as a means of defense. Well, why do you think that? Because you're trying to probe. And what I would say is that that works to an extent. I, mm-hmm. I think that there's a, a huge time and a place for that, and I think it's really good. But I actually think he, valuing the Imago Dei in a person, the image of God, and being curious as to that person's story, 
allows me to go so much further into why they're doing what they're doing or, or whatever else that I can then begin to see the entrance points to the gospel. So one way in which I say this is, you know, I, I've actually gotten to the point where when people ask me the homosexual question here in Sweden, I don't answer it. I, yeah. by, by, by what effort, because there's, there's, there's five or six different levels. I mean, I'll answer it eventually, but there's five or six different levels that are angles that we need to think about. Really levels is what what I'm going for. There's the level of, well, okay, theologically, philosophically, but maybe what they're really asking is, do you value me as a person or do you value yeah. my, my, my friend? Do you, yeah. do you hate all people? What kind of bigot are you? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and there's all questions these behind things. the questions. And, and th- those are, those are completely different. So generally, if a person asks me that question, throws that up, one, okay, I used to think it's just a smokescreen, so I'll attack the smokescreen. I don't do that anymore. I actually now have started just saying, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about why you're asking that question? And if, it's, if you want to know how much of a bigot I am, well, okay, we can get to that. But a lot of times it ends up being that personal story or that thing that they, you know, deep down um, are afraid of or scared of or suspect or whatever else, which makes for such a much more interesting conversation than, well, here is the theological line. And trust me, the theological line is needed. I did a, I did a four week series at our church or I did three out of the four weeks on human sexuality and, and relationship to God. So I think it's an incredibly important subject, but the, the, the point being that curiosity allows for a much more rich conversation. And I think in a secular culture, and I would say, go go so far as to say all secular cultures, but I think even non-secular cultures, um, just getting interested in the person's life and being curious as to why they, now they may not want to share with you. That's a different story, but insofar as one can be curious, one should be curious. And it opens up some incredible opportunities for deep, meaningful interaction. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, if you look at Jesus and how he shared, obviously he proclaimed, but also when he had interactions with people, it was often these moments of drawing stuff out and asking questions. Not always, but you see that a lot. He asked a lot of questions. Obviously he was a lot, it was easier for him to communicate care and love and concern for people, you know, which we struggle with as, as humans, but he didn't, he, he, I have a feeling some of the questions he asked people also because he had a little bit of a sense of people, right? And maybe a huge sense of people. He, he could read people. He maybe knew a little bit about them. Yeah, he knew a bit about, he was, he was, he was, he was hundred percent divine, hundred percent human, but he had this, that ability to, to, to through questions, you, 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 you see him, he's generally very gentle yeah. when he's talking to people and sharing about who he is. Occasionally not, occasionally, but, but, but he knew when to, obviously when to say something that was a bit more to push the, you know, but he, he does a lot of questions. Um, there's a great book, which I can't remember the name, but it's, it's uh, and I can't remember the author, but we'll, maybe we'll talk about it some other day. Um, the other thing I think is really interesting here too is Alpha. You know, I don't know if you've ever done an Alpha course, but Alpha, the whole concept of Alpha is that whoever's leading the groups or whoever the Christians in the groups, that they don't give answers. Mm. Because the, because the content's there, the questions are there. The, the idea is that people share and they share freely. And I've seen groups be killed by people who didn't follow the rules and said, here's the answers. I want to tell you. And those people all, will all leave very quickly. And I've seen group people become believers and grow in their faith because, hey, 
I didn't think I could ask that question or I thought I would be told because people have a kind of a concept that religion, you know, whatever, what it is, 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 is a kind of a one way yeah. it's not a dialogue. It's a one way conversation. I tell you what you need to think, believe there's no, no questioning it. And, and what alpha figured out was like, you know, which is what Jesus was doing was you ask people and you let them talk and you let them work through things and you don't judge them on yeah. their answers. And they feel that, Hey, I can, it, it breaks down barriers and it allows people to earn trust, which is something that's hugely needed. And it allows people then to listen and, and hear other stuff and see, I think also obviously they're, you know, people's own curiosity what, it communicates love. It communicates an openness. Well, it's interesting because in this, and talk about curiosity, my, my curiosity has peaked again here because there's, there's, so dogma um, which is what you're referencing in the sense of how many people have ended up leaving the church or whatever. Cause well, I can't do that. Cause dogma says or whatever else. Yeah. Dogma is actually really helpful Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's, it's developed to help as a guiding light or a template or whatever else. But dogma, when it comes, when, when servant, when, when people become the servants of dogma rather than dogma is there to help serve us to understand a situation, it's, there, there's a principle there that actually goes over into leadership as well that I've noticed is that when we have a, we, we've had, um, you know, I, I know certain people who, who really like to have a policy about such and such. So I'll get asked sometimes, what's our policy? And the reality is that I, I really dislike that question because if you're looking for policy, you're looking for the dogma and you, you yep. want something to help you to escape so that you can hover that little rule over anything, but you're not understanding the principle of a matter. And in some sense that that's what the curiosity is there for. And those people, they're, they're trying to understand the, um, they're trying to understand the, the, what's behind a matter rather, rather than um, what is, what, what is, what is the right answer, so to speak. Um, but I think the questioning of the principle or the, or trying to understand the principle actually unnerves a lot of people. Curiosity yeah. can actually be really unnerving. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cause there's something in us that wants perfect. to have the right answer or, or whatever else. I mean, there's times where my wife will ask me a question cause she's curious and my, I have this um, false narrative that I tell myself, this is one of my said natures that I always have to have the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I can feel anxiety building up in me. If my wife is asking a question, I don't know the answer to, and she's just curious and I don't know the answer. And, yeah. and you know, and so in a, in a religious context, I, and I think that's, that's really interesting too, because if you're in a situation where you're trying to relate the gospel to somebody and you think your job is to have all the answers, you can't remain curious because you're always trying to think, well, what if they ask a question or you can't allow for curiosity because what if they ask a question I don't have the answer to? Yeah. But what if, what if they do ask a question I don't have the answer to? That's actually yeah. a good thing. Uh, and should we have all the answers for both of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have all, all, all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we, I don't think we have to have all the answers at all. Uh, and actually I would, I would go so far as to say there are a time and a place where absolutely we need to have the answers and you know, yeah. you work hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I read a ton, everything else, but I, I would go in so far as some of the best conversations that have led to some of the best spiritual fruit have been when I, left my, I got to have the answers mode, or I'm going to have the answers mode, preaching mode necessarily. And a, well, let's explore this together. And I don't know. 
those tend to produce, I would say, longer lasting, more rich conversations and yeah. fruit and to, to that degree. I'm not necessarily saying quote unquote souls one, but, but meaningful, meaningful conversations. Yeah. And it, so, so uh, two points here, I'd say one is a, a lot of evangelical Western evangelicals uh, tools for evangelism are fairly one way. Yep. It's key. So there's not, now that's changing. You starting to see a lot more tools that are yeah. trying to create, but I would also say within that curiosity as, as in a ministry system, it, it, is it communicates and it forces us to be humble. Um, it, it forces us to take a step back and, and have humility, which um, is obviously something that we should have. We should be humble people. We should be people whose other people sense have a humility and, and uh, um, so, not, not, so I also want to say not just curiosity into like gather information, but I think curiosity is, is maybe uh, a byproduct of actual humility to say, I mean, I, I've seen it myself. There's been times when I feel like I, even in ministry or, or family, I have to have all the, the answers because I'm in charge or I'm, you know, but really when you, when, when, what, what you want is you want to build teams where everyone can go, yeah, I don't know. Let's figure that out. Or, and that's a better it just creates more trust, more, you know, yeah, you know, better environment. If you're, if you're, if you're humble, you can be curious because you can allow yourself not to know the answers. Yeah. But it's interesting how much shame and pride goes with lack of curiosity yeah. or, yeah. or even in a situation where you get into yourself, where you feel like you have, have to have, to have the answers. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, my, my wife is, is rarely, um, one of the things that I love about her is, is when she just doesn't know something, she's like, but why would I have known that? She just has this ability to kind of go, I don't, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I didn't know that. I, yeah. I just, I just didn't. Why, yeah. why do I care? <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, I always, you know, there's, there's times where I think I've probably pretended to know something, not probably. There are times where I pretended yeah. to know something because I thought it was better to not seem like an ignorant moron that I am, which everyone knows uh, that well. I am. I as well have, have have done that as well. Yeah, I think that so, would be common for a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think it is. So anyway, so so yeah, curiosity curiosity serves. Uh, I actually think if there was, hmm, so there's two roads I want to go here. One is the methods of sharing the gospel mm-hmm. uh, in the West. Uh, many of them, let's say, coming from America, but I think there's even even what I experience here in Sweden, a lot of people, when they say, I'm going to go share the gospel, the, the one way representation. Yeah. So I actually think this goes back into the converse, the long conversation that you and I have been having about postmodern uh, interacting with some of the stuff on pass uh, Charles Murray uh, and others, uh, Leslie Newbegin. Mm-hmm. Some of this idea that, the the one way interaction, although it could have been a lot better to be curious from the beginning, maybe that would have produced better results. I don't know, but I think really comes out of one. You can be one way when you have assumed values and understanding. Mm-hmm. So your example of Dylan saying, "I am multitude." I am a multitude. Um, that is in some sense 
now Dylan wouldn't say this probably one way, but Dylan's saying something assuming that people could possibly pick it up or should pick it up because yeah. of a shared knowledge base of a culture. Yeah. But the, the culture's moved on in a lot of ways. And Walt Whitman, I wonder how many of those critics even know who Walt Whitman is. Yeah, that right? would be sad. And so, but if that is the case, then you can no longer have that conversation. So you have to do a lot more. So then the song becomes a completely different song. It becomes a completely, it no longer is able to even have the intent or the, the intended consequence that maybe Dylan or anyone else would want. And I think that that's part of the problem with a lot of the uh, sharing quote unquote of the gospel or uh, one of the things that I've come to think of as engaging the culture. Mm -hmm. Engaging is actually a really aggressive word. It's kind of a one way word. It's like Mm -hmm. you're, you're moving it. It's like your top gun and you're engaging the enemy. Um, I don't know a better word. So I, I continue to use engage the culture. But I do, but I, I do think that there is that sense there that it assumes a certain amount of knowledge base and assumed values upon the person that you're trying to communicate with. Otherwise, it wouldn't wouldn't work. And it did work for a good period of time. But I think just like Dylan, that there isn't enough people who know Whitman to know his reference. I think in a lot of ways we have to say, you know what? we don't, we don't live in that world anymore either. So let's begin educating people about who Walt Whitman was so that they can understand this beautiful Bob Dylan song. Yeah. Um, I think, I think in part that becomes the, 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 the task of the missionary today yeah. and in the missionary, maybe of all time, right? If you're going into an African village or a, you know, Amazon rainforest, none of those people have ever heard about yeah. Jesus either. Exactly we're we're ending up where we started in some ways i mean that sounds kind of cheesy and no but it's true actually a little we're going to back to where we started which was trying to communicate to romans and greeks who are like i I have no idea what judaism is i'm not that interested in it and now you're telling me there was a guy who uh who you know and 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 you have to think early on they did not have a full bible necessarily they, they, I, mean, right. they, I think they had testimonies, right, early on about what Jesus had done in someone's life or what they had seen Jesus do. So that, you know, there was some kind of power in, in that ability for people to go, oh, wow, and, and then resonate with that. And obviously, this is another thing we, I think we should get into at some point, particularly uh, down the road, maybe in a couple more, but the idea of the power of the Holy Spirit, right, um, mm. you know, to put it in a, in a broad sense, signs and wonders, right? I mean, those things happen if we believe the New Testament. Um, so it's, it's interesting because you're right, we're, we're kind of back to this whole new time frame where before we could, and we, we talked about this, you could walk into any context and go, hey, Jesus loves you. And, he, and people would go, yeah, that sounds great. I, you know, I, had, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. I know all these stories. We have a shared concept of, this stuff, you know, or yeah. even with an, with a Muslim, at least you can, or, or someone from a Jewish background, there's some, there's some shared thinking because we kind of come out. But if you were to you know, get, go, go to the Amazon rainforest or in tr- a tribe in, uh, in the middle of nowhere, somewhere, you know, how, how do you begin to build that, that knowledge base? And I, th- I think in the secular world, that's more and more where we are. And so maybe that's, you know, to, maybe we need to have a con- conversation 
about, you know, where, where is God, is God going to step up at some point and manifest himself the way sometimes you hear about stories of, uh, you know, miraculous things that led entire tribes to faith or led people to faith or dreams, or, you know, um, in the Muslim world sometimes where you don't have access. So I don't know, it's just an interesting question because yeah, you know, see, how well, do we God, rebuild that? So it's interesting. There's a, a pastor, no longer a pastor, but a Christian podcaster now, I guess, Mike Erie uh, in the U.S. who's used, used to say all the time, we used to go to his church uh, back when we lived in California, but uh, he used to say, God is a God of props. He likes to he likes to use things around us to to help us understand who he is. Mm-hmm. Signs and wonders often tend to be um, often tend to be there because it is what the people it are their signs of power that the people would believe, right? So yeah. dreams and visions show up in the Muslim world all the time in yeah. large measure because they actually write books on helping them interpret dreams and visions because it's something yeah. that like the people. So the fact that Jesus shows up in dreams and visions for the secular West, that doesn't really believe in anything, but science, I, maybe Jesus shows up in a test tube. I don't know. Like, you know, like that's where I'm like, how do we, where do those things show up? I, I wonder yeah. that's a, I'm, I'm curious to know. I, I don't, that is a completely half baked thought, but it, it's something that I've thought about, but I do think that that's where signs and wonders show up. Um, but I, I, I do think that we need to be prepared to admit that the culture has moved on. And even, even Tim Keller would say, I was listening to a great interview that he had with uh, Carrie Newhoff and Keller would say that, Hey, look, even New York has moved on from where I was when I came here 30 years ago. He said, when I came here, it was all about, um, finding yourself being released from the old way of doing things, not feeling guilty. And now it's all about social justice. And he says that, so their presentation of the gospel and how you enter in the gospel enters into people's lives is completely different. And he said, to be honest, it's passing me up a little bit. And of course he stepped down as the pastor of Redeemer. Um, And he said, you know, it's, it's time for a new generation to understand these things. I think there's a pitfall for any Christian church organization who thinks it worked this way and it works this way in spot X, it will always work here. So Berea and, um, you know, Athens are relatively close, but Mm -hmm. the people's approach to Paul's message was completely different. And so context and curiosity uh, I, I often think Paul was probably a very curious person because it says when, when he, before he went up on Mount, on Mars Hill, he walked among the gods, right? And so he looked and he, he observed, he became curious, well, who is this unknown God? He wasn't just looking for a means of getting the gospel in. He wasn't wedging it in. He was curious as to a worldview. Now, granted, he knew a lot about that worldview, but the point, the point being, I think, I think we, we forget even how diverse the ancient world was, we tend to go, Oh, the ancient world. And it's kind of like when, when, whenever we go, I love it when I'm at a conference or I hear a talk and people are like, well, you know, in Europe, I'm like, I'm like, ask, ask a, ask a Spaniard what a, what the difference between a Basque and a, and a Catalan is right. A Catalonian, like there's huge differences in cultures and attitudes and, 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 and different things. So, so I think even in Europe, we have great, 
uh, gradation and multitudes. Yeah, we contain multitudes. We contain multitudes. <laughs> we really have come full circle now. <laughs> I, I do think that that's a, that's a thing that we have to consider is, yeah. is how are we entering into the context that we are? And that's where being curious comes in, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're talking to a German shortly after the fall of the Berlin Wall, you might need to be curious to know, was that person East or West German? Because yeah. that, that's going to change the way that you even approach that person. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I, I think there's, there's certain things that are fairly, uh, you know, transversal. Is that, a, is that a word in English? I know it in Spanish, but that, that cover, you know, for instance, you know, I, I think at the very end of the day, when you get down to it, if you do ministry where you love, where you generally love others, where you generally communicate the gospel out of a concern for others, when you build communities that do those things, you're, you're going to be all right. You're going to build and grow maybe. Uh, and you have a passion for, for others, but obviously I think what your, your point is very important because, but each, I mean, th- those are deep biblical, you know, things, things, aspects, qualities of, of a church or of a Christian group. But then you have to take that to another level of, okay, where are we right now in located in time, history, geography? And we need to try to do those things and communicate those things uh, in, in its, you know, grand scope, but in a way that people uh, in that context can understand and grasp it maybe quicker than um, in, in, in another way. So I think those are, for some people, that's very natural because they're from there. You know, what, what I've noticed in Spain, when we see people become Christians in Spain here, and then they come on staff, they're, they're our best evangelists because they went through that process. Right, right. They, they understand it. And so, or, or students who've gone through that process, they, they, that's the way they think. So they, they, they don't even like question it. But coming from the outside or coming from a culture that you know, when we grow up in the church, it could be a lot harder to then see that other way. And so we, we have to become curious. We have to help people um, become curious. Yeah, if I had to give, if I had to give, you know, top five characteristics to make a good missionary, I think I would say curiosity needs to be, needs to be in that top five. I don't know yeah. where it needs to be, but it, I don't think you can, I don't think you can carry out the task of trying to communicate to a people not your own. Um, and, and to which case I would say if anyone's ever grown up in the church, that they actually probably need to become curious again to understand those who are on the outside of the church, especially the more secular a culture is because the, the worldview that is, that is there. Now that person has the added advantage of having grown up in understanding both sides of the issue. Right. So it's, yeah. you know, conservatives, uh, political conservatives, because there are so few of them in the world, tend to be able to understand both sides of things because media and things tend to be a little bit more left leaning versus right leaning. And so they kind of understand both sides of the argument where, whereas those on the left tend to go, Oh, wait a second. There's people out there who believe that. Um, So um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I I get curiosity is is hugely important. Uh, Yeah, I think, and I think what I would say that flows out of a genuine curiosity is, do you have a love for the people you're sent to? You know, for instance, and one thing I love about Korea, you know, there's a sense of decoding and understanding the mm-hmm. campus culture always. But if you're called to university students in Tennessee, you know, it's, it, if you love those people, you're going to learn about them. You're going to try to understand what makes them tick, not just because it's a strategy, but because 
you're you're honestly you love those people i mean so in yeah. spain you come to spain if you're hey i really want to know what makes this country tick i, I want to learn what does their food taste like i want to know why they, their music is like that and you granted, you can't take all that always in and you can't know everything but you got you got to you got to know somewhere start somewhere and and I, so i i really do but i think it flows out of a, a love for that culture and those people and, and if yeah. you're going to love the people you have to love their culture uh and you, you know you have to also realize there's certain things about the culture that maybe you won't love but you you you've got to accept that and and still deal with that so I think, that's, I think that, that's where I think fun. idealizing, idealizing quote unquote calling is, is maybe a, 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 a danger and a pitfall that a lot of people fall into. Right. So it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm not really sure I feel called to Spain. I just, in, you know, or, or this place or that place. And they're, they're looking for that, that unction that moves them. But the reality is, is I've never been to a place um, so there are lots of places in the world that I'm not incredibly passionate about. Okay. Yeah. But when I meet a person from that place, all of a sudden a whole new world opens up to yeah, me. Yeah. I'm like, wow, because I, I get curious about that person. I get curious about, you know, what got him up in the morning. Um, yeah. I remember I, in college, I didn't even know the country of Benin existed, right? I yeah. was your typical college American, wow. American college kid. And yeah. I come back from a missions trip to Central Asia and decide, hey, I'm going to befriend a, through the local university, um, international student as a conversation partner. And I'm going to love on him that way. And so the person they gave me was this PhD uh, guy from Benin. And I got to know him and it was incredible and I learned so much and all of a sudden I was thinking about maybe I should go to Benin it wasn't because God it, you know most of the time and I think that this is the way that these things tend to work is if you want if you want to grow a heart for people spend time with people yeah, the, yeah. where your where your treasure is there will your heart be also and time yeah. is a treasure right and so if we're spending time and energy around the people your heart will grow for that people granted you may go to a country and you may have a really hard time and you may not want to want to yeah. move there or whatever. There is one country I would prefer not to move back to, but that was mainly because of its food, not because of its people. Yeah. So, but we will, we will relieve that, we'll that. that country name nameless at the yeah. moment. You know, you know who was, I think a, if, if I was going to, this is going to be a little bit maybe edgy here, but if I was someone who was, if someone was asking me what, like what could I do to get ready for the mission field or being, you know, going to ministry, this is going to sound really strange. I would say watch Tony Bourdain. Ooh. Watch Tony Bourdain. He was the guy, travel food guy. My wife just sent me an, uh, kind of a thing about him and this kind of the same theme. Of, uh, and a great example of someone went from country to country, city to city, and was a consummate learner. Yeah. Wherever he went, he did not judge people. He did not. But he went in. I mean, occasionally he would make some, you know, there was something really bad going on. But he would listen to whoever and and listen to their story. Christians, even he had a lot of times he had he had believers on and asked yeah. them and he oh but he always treated everyone as 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 he was learning from them and learning what was their life like what was their culture like what was their food like what were the things they're dealing with and and treat them as humans and, and with dignity and compassion and so I think that if you can kind of get that his attitude right it's a huge that that's what the world's looking for I think in a lot of ways is someone who does that. Someone who 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 shows that care, you know, and even for a guy who was clearly not a believer, who had a lot of issues in his life, 
uh, you know, and a lot of unhealthy issues. He was a guy who, who at least on camera, that was the ethos he made sure people got. And I I think changed a lot of people's perceptions of things and, um, and people loved his show because maybe some people didn't like his show because of that, but some people, many people loved the show because it, it, he was a learner. Um, Yeah. He never came. He was not one of those people who visited, you know, country bumpkins and, you watched it because you wanted to see the country bumpkins made fun of. Yeah. Like he never, he never made fun of a person for just being the person that they were. He, yeah, yeah he, he did a really good job of that. It's a, that's yeah. a really good suggestion. Filter out all of the uh, cursing and the drinking. Yeah. And some of the other, <laughs> other stuff. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I think a fascinating example of that curiosity that communicates humility and, and it's what we need. I think if you're, if you're thinking about going overseas and even for a short term, look at that. Yeah. Watch, watch one of his episodes and see how he, he, he eats, he treats, he treats people. And yeah. You know, you know the, the, the other one that I would say uh, series that if you think, if anyone would ever think about going overseas or we try to tell new people who come to Sweden to watch this uh, is the show uh, long way down. Oh, yeah. And McGregor. Great. Yeah. Oh, long, long way, long, long way round. Long well, way round two. is better. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. long way round is is better because yeah. So one of the interesting things that I think made long way round better was because they were green and they were experiencing so much trials and tribulations. It was it was, it was a tougher. Yeah. Long, long way down had difficulties, but because they had developed so much character, it didn't make for as compelling television. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they knew how to handle difficulty. And so there just wasn't yeah. freaking out like there was on the first one, but yeah. the first one's where they learned that. So if you, if you want to see the difference that character makes, um, this is a good reminder for me in my own life when I, when I don't want to develop character because character only comes through difficulties um, and refining and pruning and everything else that's hard. But I really think that series is just fantastic. Oh, it's fantastic. There's the a best, Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was going to say the the part where the the guy helps him. The kid had to be a missionary. He he, he helps him in the Mongolia to get their their motorcycle fixed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's like, what what can we do for you? He's like, hey, he had something for his sister in like Iowa. He said, well, are you going through Iowa? He's like, yeah, we can go through Iowa. He goes, can you give this to my sister? Yeah. And so they drive all the way to Iowa from (laughs) Mongolia. And then call up the sister. That is just a fantastic, you know. Oh, man. Uh, I, I think that there's that. Mongolia is because, of course, where it gets really hard, right? So through Kazakhstan and all these other places, they're eating sheep's eyeballs. And, you know, it's interesting, but it's not, it's not compelling yet. And then in Mongolia, the, the truck flips. Yeah. They break down. They don't know how to fix their bike. And some, some sheep herder from the Mongolian steppe comes and fix, fixes their bike. Yeah. The guy lives through the, the truck turning over, but as, yeah. as they're about to quit, right? They're thinking, well, let's, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll go up North into Russia. The road of and, bones. And we'll, we'll skip all the hard stuff, but at least we'll be on schedule. And the producer says, look, we knew this was going to be hard. Let's go ahead and skip with it. It would be a shame to miss all of this cool stuff in Mongolia that we know we're going to see. Let's just be late and we'll get through it. And so they do, they get through Mongolia and then they come to the road of bones, which is the famous road that Stalin had built with slave labor from the gulags. And then, you know, when someone would die, they would just fall down and they would bury them literally into the road. That's yeah. where it gets its name. Stalin's and great guy. at that point, <laughs> Stalin's words never, ever, <laughs> you, oh, total sidetrack here. Have you seen the show? Um, what, oh, there's a movie. Is it Stalin is dead? 
The Death of Stalin, yes. Death, have you seen that? Yeah, 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 yeah it's hilarious. Oh my gosh, it's a fantastic movie. <laughs> fantastic movie. Um, probably also shouldn't recommend that. I'm sure there's language in that, some other things, but it was fascinating movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, so blah, blah, blah. So they get to the Road of Bones. And of course, they, at that point, it got so hard, they couldn't get on their bikes anymore. They had to put them on trucks. And it was slow going and they're laughing and they're having a good time, right? So it went from the end of the world has happened. We can't make it through Mongolia to I'm laughing on the road of bones. Then they get to the end of Russia and they fly over to Alaska and they're on, you know, beautifully paved roads. They eat this massive American breakfast, you know, Yeah. and they show this one point where they stop for gas at a gas station in mm -hmm. Alaska. And Ewan McGregor looks at Charlie Borman and goes, this is boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to go back on the road of bones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, my wife and I, my wife turned to me at that moment and she said, this is the perfect example of what it means to be a missionary. Yeah. You go through all this stuff and you think it's you, every time you think it's the end of the world, but then you try to go back to something quote unquote normal and you go, this is boring. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and, 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 and you, once you develop character, kind of these normal things just, just seem man. And I, I do think that that's a great analogy for the spiritual yeah. life. I think it's a great analogy for being a missionary. Yeah. Great show. I might have to go and watch that. Yeah. I need to, I heard they were going to, they were thinking about doing another, I can't remember what it was going to be. Maybe it was like North America, South America. Yeah. They, they were, I think they did it. Yeah. Maybe it, yeah, maybe it might exist. Once again, so, so much content, you miss the stuff you really want Yeah. I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed. Oh well, goodness. Here, in honor of Bob Dylan, should we? Should I read a little of this this newest song he put out? Just well, just let, a little bit. Just let's a little? Cl let's close with that then. Okay, so, so this is from I contain multitudes. Uh, I would I'd recommend it's a good song if you like Bob Dylan. But he says, "I'm just like Anne Frank, like Indiana Jones, and then British bad boys, the Rolling Stones. I go right to the edge. I go right to the end. I go right where all things lost are made good again. I sing the songs of experience like William Blake. I have no apologies to make." Everything's flowing all at the same time. I live on the boulevard of crime. I drive fast cars. I eat fast foods. I contain multitudes. That's just one stanza there. That is America, isn't it? Yeah, it is America. Yeah, I think that's what he's, I think this is a song about America. Because hmm. uh, it's, it's referencing just all this stuff and culture and things that we, we are. And I think maybe it's a bit of a, a love song to, to our crazy country. And it is that, man. It is that. It's a, it's a wonderful, crazy, smorgasbord of delight. Yeah. <laughs> well, Garrick, uh, this has been fun. Stay curious, my friend. Yeah. And, Stay uh, curious. That's a good one. Con contrary to the, <laughs> What is this? Someone who said, uh, I was listening to a political podcast the other day. Someone who said, so are you a Trump supporter? And the guy was like, I'm Trump curious. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's kind of a good <laughs> Anyway, all right, buddy. It's been great talking with you. All right. Uh, until we do it again, the may, next you, one. may you eat all the jamon that you want. Yep. Talk to you later, buddy. Bye.